Well, we're continuing our series on uh, how we grow and talking about spiritual sanctification or growth as God continues to move us forward in our walk and drawing closer to Him. And uh, so, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a couple different aspects of that. Now, uh, two weeks ago, uh, really kind of ended the part of, uh, well, I don't say ended, but it kind of took a break from the part where uh, we talk about the internal transformation that takes place. And uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Tony talked on uh, suffering. And so, if you'll remember that, uh, he talked about how God uses those moments of our life uh, and to grow us. And so, a lot of times in those moments, uh, we really find out the things about what we really believe. You know, the rubber meets the road, if you will. Uh, and so, then last week, we talked about mission and uh, being on mission for the gospel. And that uh, being on mission for the gospel is not something that just takes place uh, in uh, the international ventures that we are all a part, uh, you know, most of us are a part of, but it's also uh, in your everyday life. And so, when you're on mission for the gospel, uh, you're taking hope uh, to those people that uh, are in the sphere of influence in which God has placed you. And so, uh, we talked about the good news of the gospel and how the good news is hope for today, uh, not just uh, eternal life with Jesus in eternity. And so, uh, tonight, as we continue on, uh, we're going to talk about the Trinity. And we're going to talk about how the Trinity plays a role uh, in our spiritual transformation. And we're going to talk about uh, the different parts of the Trinity. And so we'll discuss that uh, tonight. But before we do, let's ask the Lord to bless our time together here tonight. Uh, Father, we bow before you. Uh, God, we thank you so much for the Trinity. God, we thank you for the work of the Trinity and all that it means to us, Lord. Uh, God, we thank you so much that you've given us the perfect example of so many things through the Trinity. And so tonight we pray uh, that as we talk about uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that, uh, God, that you will illuminate our minds. God, you would give us discernment to know the things that you'd want us to know. And, God, I pray for encouragement tonight through the Scriptures that we'll see, uh, Lord, all the many, many uh, innumerable ways, uh, God, that you are for us. Uh, God, that uh, you work in our lives and through our lives. And, God, how you utilize uh, the different parts of the Trinity, uh, God, to transform us and to grow us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight, we're at the beginning, we're going to do just a, a little uh, dialogue. So uh, there's no wrong answer, and I'm not going to take your answer and use it in a sentence or anything. And so don't be afraid to answer it. Uh, but I want, you to, I want you to think about for a second, uh, what do you think of when you think of the Trinity? Or what is it that you know of or know about when you think about the Trinity? Three and one? What else? I'm just polling the audience, so. Very excited, all right. Amen. What else? What, what do you think of when you say, you know, if someone who did not go to church said, well, I, Trinity, I, what does that mean? What do you think? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All right. What else? What, what do you think of when you think of the Trinity? You, you think of um, unclear, like I'm, I don't know a lot about it, or do you think of uh, I interact with the Trinity every day? What, what do you think? There's no wrong answers, by the way. Any thoughts? The Spirit that lives within me? 
Amen. So as we talk about this tonight, we're going to talk about the different aspects of the Father, uh, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about how they all three uh, work together. Now, you know, I heard a a preacher uh, preach a message one time. He said that a lot of times people treat the Holy Spirit uh, like, uh, you know, uh, know, a a dismissive, distant third. And so we want to talk about that tonight so we can understand it. And at the end of the handout, uh, there is a, a place where we're going to talk about the very distinct things that God the Father does, the very distinct things that God the Son, uh, Jesus does, and we'll also talk about the very distinct and specific things that the Holy Spirit does. And so I hope this will be a point of reference for you so that you'll be able to uh, be very clear about uh, who is doing what in your life and how those all play together in perfect unity. And so tonight on your handout, the very first thing that we see is that spiritual transformation, community, and mission are intended to form an unbroken circle in your life. So spiritual formation, community, and mission all form an unbroken circle in your life. And so think about uh, what a circle is. It's continuous, right? Is it continu- there's no end to a circle. It just goes around and around and around. Well, what does that mean? Is that there's a cycle that continues to take place in your life. Well, as you grow, and so, you know, obviously we're talking about sanctification here. And so as you grow in your walk with Christ, as you grow uh, in godliness of who God is uh, transforming you to become, that doesn't take place apart from uh, community and mission. So in other words, there has to be, in order for you to be who God created you to be, you have to have community. You know, it happens a lot, and I've had a couple of conversations even here recently about uh, people who've kind of distanced themselves, and uh, they, they kind of put themselves on an island, and they say, well, you know, that's just, that's somebody else, that's not me. Well, that's not the case in the, in the kingdom, because what happens in the kingdom is God gave us a community as evidenced by the Trinity, which we'll see in just a second, so that we would have an example. So the Trinity is the example of what perfect community is. And so we're able to use community uh, to, to smooth out our rough edges, if you will, and to shape us and mold us into who God wants us to be. Well, when we do that, so when God uses community to shape us, well, the natural expression of that is to be on mission. It's to be on mission. So, you know, last week we talked about uh, Steve, Jonna, uh, we talked about how uh, we talked about on mission. And last Sunday night I said, as we speak, there are people on the mission field uh, furthering the kingdom of God. And so as we are on mission, well, why do we do that? Well, it's because God is forming and God is shaping us. And when He does that, He does it through a body of believers with community. And so the Trinity then is reflective of this Trinity of transformation, community, and mission. And so God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is a reflection of the Trinity of spiritual growth or spiritual transformation, community, and mission. God uses all three of those in our life to shape us into who He created us to be. So God uses Himself, He uses the Son, Jesus, and He uses uh, the Holy Spirit then to shape us and to form us into who He wants us to be. Now, when we talk about the Trinity, and, you know, there was not a whole lot of comments about it, and, of course, we did Wednesday night when I asked the question. There were a few comments as well. Uh, So when we think about the Trinity, most Christians, in, in theory, say, yes, I believe in the Trinity. I'm a Trinitarian. Uh, but they're practical Unitarians. And so, in other words, they're not uh, engaging with the full um, Father, the, no, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so, hopefully tonight, 
as we talk about this, uh, you'll gain some clarity on uh, exactly what part and what role each of them play in, your, in my spiritual growth. And so, as we think about the word Trinity, so if I were to ask you, well, where do we get the word Trinity? Well, the word Trinity is actually not found in Scripture. So, if you go home tonight and word search or, you know, look it up and try to find the word Trinity, you're not going to find that in your Bible. But it is demonstrated in a multitude of ways, and so there's just a few here that I put on your uh, page. Well, the first thing you see is, of course, uh, the very famous verse of the uh, Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. In the second verse of the Great Commission, it says in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so the command is that we go and make disciples. And so uh, it's amazing God always does this. I was thinking about this, Pastor Tony, this morning. We're in baptism this morning, and uh, Pastor Tony's going, uh, he's going through, uh, you know, here's what we're going to do, and, and this, is, uh, this is why baptism, and so on and so forth while we're up in the baptistry. And Pastor Tony says, okay, and we know that God commanded us to be baptized, and it says, and you quoted Matthew 28, 19, uh, and to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm thinking to myself, amen, Lord, here we go. You know, this is Sunday night. We're about to get to that. And uh, so, you know, we're going through this morning, uh, for those that were baptized, there's a few people in here this morning, or this tonight, that were baptized this morning, and, and this is the part of the sacrament. And so Jesus said that, well, don't just do this in the name of the Father or of the Son or of the Holy Spirit. He said to do it in all three, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it's an example of all three working in unison in your spiritual transformation, in my spiritual transformation. Uh, Titus chapter 3, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So, Jesus saved us. The Holy Spirit renewed us, whom He poured out on us, which is God the Father, richly uh, through Jesus Christ our Savior. And so, again, we see in, in uh, justification and salvation uh, where God the Father is active through the Son and through the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, By this we know that we abide in Him, and He is in us, because He has given us, which is God the Father, His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. Now, 1 John was written by John the disciple, which is John also was written by John the disciple that we're going through on Sunday mornings. And so we've, we see the example of, uh, of how God uses the Father, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit through our s salvation. Last but not least on your page, you see there, uh, now, and this was also mentioned uh, this morning. Uh, Pastor Tony was talking again with the baptism, and he said uh, the one place in Scripture that we see uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all present at one time, at one place, is the baptism of Jesus, which you see here in Luke chapter 3 and verse 22. It says, The Holy Spirit descended upon Him, which is Jesus, in bodily form like a dove, and a voice from heaven came and said, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. 
So this is not a night of apologetics or a defense of the gospel, but if you're having a conversation with someone and they say, well, you know, the Bible doesn't teach the Trinity. Well, here's four great places that you can say, well, as a matter of fact, it does. And they say, well, you know, they're not present all at the same place where you can say, well, as a matter of fact, they are. And so you can bring up the point that Jesus, the Son, hears from God the Father who speaks to him as the dove is descending uh, or the Holy Spirit is descending in the form of a dove. And so this is very clear and very evident of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so basically all the word Trinity then does is just capture the linguistical uh, teachings of Scripture on the unity of God and the tri-personality of God or the tri-head of God, hence the term tri-unity, which became Trinity. So Trinity, again, is just capturing. It's a word to capture all three parts of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so as the, the church, uh, the early church came to see God as being one with three uh, uh, persona, the God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I believe, don't quote me on this, but you can look it up. I think it was the Council of Chalcedon in 415, I believe. And so what they did is they said, you know, we've got to make sure uh, that we, uh, you know, we're all on the same page. Remember when Paul got saved and uh, he came back to the disciples and says, hey, you know, I want to make sure that uh, I'm preaching the same gospel that you're preaching. And, and Peter was in, present in that conversation. And so they said, we want to make sure that, you know, what, what we're feeling led by the Spirit uh, is the same thing. And so it's the same thing with the Council of Chalcedon. They got together and said, hey, we want to make sure that we're all understanding this correctly, uh, which is a perfect example of why uh, small group Bible study, specifically D groups, uh, is so instrumental in your spiritual growth because it allows you to have context as you read Scripture. So again, if you're home and you're reading the Bible by yourself and you're interpreting the Bible by yourself and you have no context for that, well, then you're going to start believing and understanding things in the wrong way. But if you have community and you have understanding in community, you've got other people that can help you to understand those things. And so the one true God is a community of three divine persons existing in one infinite spirit being. So God has no beginning and He has no end. He is infinite, uh, but He exists in this community. And so just as a family or a nation is both one and many. And so we say, well, you know, how is that possible? Well, it's the same way that we may say we're one nation, but yet there's, you know, 350 million of us here. And so we're one nation, but yet we're many. It's the same way with God the Father. He is uh, God the Father, but He's God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, one in three, three in one. And so the personal relations within the Trinity are described with the Greek word uh, perichoresis, uh, which literally means to dance around. And so uh, if you think about, uh, you know, get in your mind how you see a lot of these uh, dancers, you know, ballroom dancers, how they're flowing and they're, you know, I'm a terrible dancer. I've got two left feet, but, you know, they're flowing and they're, they're moving in perfect unity and there's never a misstep. And so, you know, as they're constantly moving, they're, th this dance is a perfect, uh, the word is used that we get uh, to describe this uh, perfect dance to, to move around 
together, but yet be three different parts. And so, as we talk about then our spiritual formation, as God is dancing around us or using the three uh, parts of the Trinity to form us, everything that follows our salvation moment uh, or our justification uh, flows from who God is. And so, it's important for us to understand who God is as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, because everything that follows that moment in our life is something that we understand from uh, who God is. And so we've got to know what that is uh, so that we can rightly be formed in who God wants us to be. So the indwelling of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit causes us to share in the transformational life of the Trinity, and it unites us interdependently with one another in community. And so, if you'll remember, uh, so God the Father dwelt in the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament. Remember in the, tem- in the temple and tabernacle? Uh, that's where the presence of God was. Well, Jesus came, and the presence of God was manifested through the incarnation, Jesus Himself, God the Son. And so then Jesus said, what? Well, I must go so that the Spirit can come. And so when the Spirit came in Acts, we see that the Spirit indwells every believer. And so as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a believer of Jesus Christ, we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. And so everywhere, we talked about this several weeks ago, everywhere that a believer goes, so the Spirit goes because the Spirit indwells inside of the believer. And so remember we talked about holy ground. Remember we talked about that and we talked about how when the believer is somewhere, you have the Spirit of God inside of you and so therefore where you are is holy ground because that's where the presence or the Spirit of God is. And so as we talk about this indwelling of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what happens in our life is that you can't be indwelt with the Spirit of God and not share and change or transform into who God wants you to be. And so it, it helps us to be transformed. The, the easiest way I used to explain this is uh, uh, a lady uh, who is pregnant. Everything changes when a lady becomes pregnant, right? She wants to eat ice cream and peanut butter and bananas and, you know, potato chips. And, you know, everything goes out the window as far as, you know, like all things change. The structure of your body changes, how your body uh, uses nutrients and how all that works. Every bit of that changes. And it's the same way when the Spirit of God is inside of you. You know, you you say, well, you know, you're not uh, partially uh, pregnant, right? You're either pregnant or you're not. It's the same way with the Spirit of God. You're either a born-again believer or you're not. You either dwelt with the Spirit and dwelt with the Spirit of God or you're not. And so when the, the Spirit of God indwells you, you have to change because what happens is he's changing you as we spent eight weeks, seven weeks talking about from the inside out. Well, when that, that, that outward flow manifests itself through the works of the Spirit, which we'll get to here towards the end. And so engaging with the Trinity then allows us to know several things. Uh, first of all, it allows you to know the love of God. So when you say, uh, when you engage with the Trinity, you come to know the love of the Father uh, more than any other way. You learn the beauty of the Son, Jesus Christ. And last but not least, uh, we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we, are, are, we share in, we engage in the power of the Spirit of God. Now, there's things that, in a believer's life, there's things that happen that you can't explain but for God. There's only, the only way it could happen is but for God. Well, how, would that, how is that the case? Because we as believers have the Spirit of God residing inside of us, and He does things inside of us that we supernaturally could never do apart from the Spirit of God. 
You think about conversations that you've had, and you, there's a recollection of a verse or there's a, a thought that comes to your mind. It happens often where you're talking with someone, and this thought will come into your heart, or this Bible verse will come into your mind, and all of a sudden you'll share it, and you'll think to yourself, where in the world did that come from? That's the Spirit of God working in your life through the power of the Spirit to do things that you and I can't accomplish on our own. Oftentimes, the invitation time comes, and the prayer is this, God, do what only you can do, right? Because only God can change a person. Only God, just like the testimonies this morning, only God can cause a person to know who He is and who they are and reveal the distance between the two and say, but yet I still love you and I want to draw you unto me. That's the Spirit of God that does that. So spiritual transformation or spiritual formation theology emerges from the Trinitarian nature of God. And so as we talk about the Trinity, uh, this is where spiritual formation uh, has its genesis or its beginning. Because you see, as you began to follow Jesus, as you began to be transformed in your walk with Jesus, there are things that you will be characterized by that you previously were not known by. And so we're going to look at just three quick things here tonight. So the life of the Trinity, which as we translate this, then means the life of the believer, because we're indwelt uh, by the Spirit of God, is characterized by three things. Number one, mutual submission. You see, that's what community is, is saying that there are things that you're good at that I'm not good at. And there's things that I'm good at that maybe you're not as good at. And so in a community of believers, what happens is we mutually submit to each other and say, well, here's your gift, and this is my gift, and so we're going to use our gifts together to be who God wants us to be. And so mutual submission is perfectly exemplified uh, by the Trinity. Number two, complete sharing. So you read in uh, Acts, you know, you read with the first church. What does it say that they were, uh, anyone that had of need, they were sharing with each other? Complete submission, mutual submission to each other, complete sharing, and number three, unconditional love. Number three, unconditional love. And so that's being fully known and fully loved, right? That's unconditional love. It's not saying, well, do you qualify for my love? But saying, because I didn't qualify for the love that God gave me, hence I'm not going to qualify your love that I'm going to give to you, which is what? It's grace before truth, John 1, 14. And so, unconditional love, complete sharing, and mutual submission are three characteristics that we see in the life of the Trinity, which as a growing believer, as a transforming believer, uh, are the marks of a Christian, if you will. And so, how does the Trinity relate to humanity? So, we talk about these characteristics of what we should look like. Well, how does the Trinity relate to humanity Well, again, some of this stuff may be basic theology for you, but I wanted to try to uh, put it all on one page so you would have this. So the Father, our Creator, He originates the plan of salvation. From the moment that sin came into the world, there was a plan to redeem you and I. And so God the Father is the originator of that plan. Well, God the Son, Jesus who is our Redeemer, provides the remedy for human sin. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Well, you and I were blemished. We were sinful. We, weren't, uh, we didn't qualify for the perfect sacrifice. No human 
uh, because of sin, was capable of doing that. And so Jesus Christ provided the remedy for our human sin by being the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And then number three, the Spirit, our sanctifier, He applies our salvation. And so what He does is He, he institutes or He begins to navigate salvation in our life through sanctification. And so the way that that takes place is through the Son. You see, we are transformed through the Spirit by imitating the life of Christ, by conforming to His image. And so you ask the question, well, you know, what, what, what does the life of a believer look like? Well, God the Father answered that question by sending His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, I've quoted this before, but it's a, a great saying. Max Lucado says that God loves you just the way you are but that He refuses to leave you that way. That His desire is that you look just like Jesus. And so there's many verses that talk about that. And so God loves us just the way we are, Romans 5, 8. But yet He's not leaving us that way, which is spiritual transformation. And so He's redeeming us. And so, you know, the ground of sin that has taken root in our life, Jesus, through transformation of the, uh, through the Holy Spirit, is redeeming those parts of our heart in which He wants to take back, that He wants to be Lord over. And so we're, we're imitating Jesus through the life of, or through the life of Jesus uh, by conforming to His image. So Romans 8, 29, For those whom He foreknew, God the Father, He also predestined to be conformed, to be changed, to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so I underline the word conform. So God's desire for you and for me is that we be conformed, that we be changed. And not that we be changed into another person. Not that we be changed into uh, the likeness of another person. Not that we be changed into, uh, you know, the likeness of any human. But that we be changed into the image of God the Son, Jesus Christ. You see, a lot of times when we talk about spiritual transformation, it's easy for your heart to, to lead you in a direction to say, well, I'm doing better than this person, or I'm not doing as bad as this person. But what you're doing, what we do when we say that is we're comparing ourselves to man. And so there's always going to be a flawed comparison in, the, in that scenario. But God says, no, I want you to be like Jesus. And so, the, the plan for redemption is that we be conformed so that we be redeemed or changed back to the image of Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 is the only other place that this uh, verbiage is used. Uh, and it says that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and may share uh, His sufferings, becoming like Him or becoming conformed in His death. And so Paul is writing here, and he's saying, listen, the, the conforming that takes place in spiritual transformation is what, again, the other word or the other translation of that word is that you become like Him. I love the latter part of Psalms chapter 17 and verse 15 where the psalmist talks about, uh, he says, uh, one translation says, I will not be satisfied until I awake in His likeness. You see, that's the desire of the believer is that we glorify God as we become more like Jesus. And so what are the distinctions tonight? We're going to talk about the distinctions of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, first of all, the Father is for us. So God the Father is for us. Jesus the Son is with us. He says what? Lo, I'm with you 
wherever you may go. And then the Spirit of God is in us. And so God is for us. What did uh, Paul say in Romans chapter 8? If God be for me, who can be against me? And so as God uh, transforms us, we know that, that God is on our side, that God is for us, that Jesus is with us. So he says, where two or more are gathered in my, my name, there I am also. And so we know that Jesus is with us, and then the power of the Spirit comes through us because it is inside of us. So that as we talk about the three working together in unison, I'll put a couple of verses here for you that, that give reflection of that. John 17 Verse 21 says that they may all be one. So here's Jesus praying the priestly prayer. And he's talking about believers. And he says that they all may be one just as you, Father, are in me. And so you see this connectedness. And I in you that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So you see, one of the amazing parts of the gospel is that God the Father didn't send Jesus to save you. Luke 19, 10, I came to seek and save those who were lost. He didn't come to just redeem humanity and then leave us alone and say, all right, I'll catch you guys in eternity. No, He left His Spirit of God with us to continue to mold us and to transform us back into who He wants us to be. And so He gives the perfect example of that in saying that, you know, John 15 talks about abiding in the Father. And that I can do nothing apart from the Father. And so that's the, the work of transformation in our life as we uh, mirror, as Paul says in 1 uh, Corinthians 11, 1, uh, follow me as I follow Christ, is that we try to follow Jesus Christ and to imitate Jesus. And in doing so, what happens is that the Spirit of God flows in us and through us as it did with Jesus. John chapter 10, verse 38, But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, Believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Do we see ourselves that way? Do, do we, when we talk about going in the power of, of the Spirit, do we, do we see ourselves that way? You see, Jesus has given the perfect example here of saying, my life is so dependent upon God the Father. My life is so dependent upon the activity of Him in my life that apart from Him, I can do nothing. You see, that's the perfection of the Trinity in showing us as believers that if, if we're going to accomplish those things in which God intends for us to accomplish, we're going to do that not in our own strength or abilities, but through the power of the Spirit of God that works inside of us because of what God the Father has done. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so, again, John is reminding us here that uh, Jesus uh, is, is connected, interconnected with God the Father in accomplishing the things in which God intends for Him to accomplish. And so, tonight, we're going to look at three things then, characteristics of God the Father, we'll look at characteristics of God the Son, and we're going to look at characteristics of the Holy Spirit. So, characteristics of God the Father. So, if we were to uh, distinguish the things in which uh, the characteristics uh, which uh, identify God the Father and the activity of God the Father, uh, well, tonight there's a few things that I want to point out. So, number one is God the Father forgives our sin. You see, God is the one who says justified, or God is the one who says, depart from me, I never knew you. 
right? And so the Bible says that God the Father looks at us through the lens of Jesus Christ as believers because he who knew no sin became sin that we may become the righteousness of God. And so when God the Father looks at us, he's the one who has the authority to forgive sin. Remember, that was the big question they had for Jesus was, well, how, how can you do that if you're not God? And Jesus says, well, because I am God. So God forgives sin. First John 2, 1, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So forgives our sin. Number two, lavishes love on us. The Bible says that uh, we love him because he first loved us. First John 3, 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. See what kind of love the Father has given us. And so God the Father uh, is love. And so uh, what He's done is He's lavished His love by creating a way that you and I may have a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus. And then number three, He provides for us our spiritual, emotional, and physical needs. Spiritual, emotional, and physical needs are all provided by God the Father. Uh, Matthew 6, 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So, as if you remember at the very beginning, we said that spiritual transformation takes place through community and mission. And we said last week Uh, that the mission is something that we're involved in on an everyday basis, and that the good news is not just that we get to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus, but that the good news is present change, and that that present change brings hope, it brings comfort, it brings encouragement, uh, many things that that present change brings. And so one of the things uh, that I want to point out here as we talk about uh, supplying spiritual, emotional, and physical needs is This is an amazing way for you as a believer to live your faith in front of those who don't know Jesus. Well, what do I mean by that? Everyone has need, right? There's always something in your life that God can provide. Uh, It could be an answered prayer. It could be a physical need. It could be emotional. There may be something going on in your life. And what an amazing way for you to, to put that in front of the world and say, you know, here's a deficiency in my character. Here's a problem in my life. Here's a a struggle that I have in my life. But I know someone who can do something about it. And so I'm just praying that God will do X, that God will provide this, that God will heal this, that God will cure this, that God, whatever it may be, and say that I trust God to do that. You see, one of the things that we don't do uh, in our culture is we pray safe prayers. We pray, this is not on prayer, but we pray things that well, they're general. I mean, let's be honest. And we're not saying, God, look. I remember when we moved to Virginia and we you know, had some difficult times and I sat down with some friends and I said, look, God's reputation is on the line here. God called us to Virginia. I know for a fact that he did. And yet I'm standing here and I'm at the bottom of the barrel. And if God doesn't do something, then I will fail. How many times do we pray those prayers? To say, God, there's a need in my life, and I know that you supply all that there is, but we keep all that to ourselves, and then we can't share that with the world because we reserved all of it for ourselves. 
We've hidden it inside of ourselves, and there's not been an opportunity for glory. Well, God does those things in which He gets the most glory for. And so and I was listening to a podcast by Francis Chan the other day, and he was saying how uh, some other people of another religion had stopped by his house, and they wanted to share with him. And he said, well, great, there are several things I want to share with you as well. And uh, so uh, he, said, I just, he said, I just jumped in, and I began to share with them uh, how God answers my prayers. And he said, I told them, just last week I prayed, and he told them what he prayed for. And he said, and God answered my prayers. And he said, they were like, well, God doesn't answer everyone's prayers. And he said, you are absolutely right. And he started listing all the places in Scripture of the things that would hinder the prayers of God. And he said, but how crazy is this? He listens to me. I mean, can we say that in front of the lost world? Can we say that? You see what I'm saying? Like, we should be praying those prayers in our life. We should be so in tune with the Spirit of God and saying, God, unless you show up, I will fall flat of my face. I mean, do we believe Matthew 6, 26? That's the question. Is that the Spirit of God, He wants to do those things in our life? You know, one of the knocks you hear all the time is, well, does God still perform miracles? Well, when's the last time you ask Him for one? And so he can do it. He's able, if we believe Ephesians 3.20, that he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly far beyond what we could ever ask or imagine, well, then we ought to be praying for those things. We ought to be asking God to do that. So is Matthew 6.26 true? Well, I say absolutely it's true, and we ought to pray like it's true. And so God the Father says, hey, look, I can give you these things. You have to ask for them. He is Jehovah Jireh, amen, my provider. So I started preaching a little bit right there. So Psalms 46.1, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. So when is the last time, I mean, that's one of the things I love about D Group is that you can say, look, here's all the terrible things about me. I need help, right? Accountability, I need you to pray for me. I need you to encourage me. If God doesn't show up, I'm going to fall flat on my face. Those are opportunities that God shines in. But what we do, we do it the opposite. Is We run around like busy bees and say, I'm guilty of this. And I'm preaching to myself. How can I fix this? Who do I know? What can I do to provide for this need? And then it's like, well, I can't figure anything out, God. You got anything up there you could do? I mean, that's how we approach things. But what if we did it the opposite? I mean, all this list as we're going through tonight shows all the things that you have and I have available to us as believers in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So we have it right here in front of us. The next one, He's, he's our refuge. He's our strength, number one. A very present help in trouble, Psalms 46, 1. He's our refuge. Psalms chapter 9, verse 9, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. When's the last time that we said, God, I'm in trouble, and I'm staying right here, I'm not moving, I'm going to stand before you, and I'm going to beg you to move until you move? Is he the refuge? The Bible says he is. He's our fortress. Psalms 46, 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
There's a song out that says, he's fighting my battles. That's what he does. He's the stronghold in your life and in my life. Listen, circumstances all the time are going to come up that are bad in your life. And if you look around, you just spend five seconds thinking about what could be better in your life, and you'll come up with something. But when we say, well, you know, circumstances don't determine who I am, God determines who I am, well, then we can say, well, God, you are my fortress. Number five, he's our potter. Number four, rather. He's our potter, number four. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. So he's shaping us and he's making us into who he wants us to be. Number six, or rather number five, he's our gardener. John 15, 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So God is our gardener. So these are the characteristics of who God the Father is. So you've got a list here now of all the things that God wants to do and is available to be in your life and in my life. So next, the characteristics of Jesus. The characteristics of Jesus. Well, number one, who is he? Well, he is our source of life, growth, and fruitfulness. What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He provides life. So he's our source of life. Number two, Jesus is our intercessor. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So Jesus is the advocate for us, and he's interceding for us on behalf of us to God the Father. So number two, he's our intercessor. Number three, he is our physician. Luke chapter 4 and verse 23, and he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. How many times did we see Jesus heal? I mean, this morning with the pool of Bethesda. We, we see countless times where Jesus stepped up and did things that were impossible. I uh, think about in the garden where Peter struck Malchus's ear and dropped it to the ground, and Jesus just reached down, picked it up, put it back on, and we're back to square one. I mean, he's able. He can do anything. He's the great physician. You know, that's one of the things I pointed this out Wednesday night. So, again, you know, thinking of practical ways that you can apply this in your everyday life is, have you ever been around uh, a, an unbeliever who was sick or hurt? Well, the answer is obviously yes. So every time I get that opportunity, I always say, uh, when I get an opportunity to pray with someone who's not a believer about whatever ailment is bothering them, I always pray this, God, you are the creator of the universe, and you created everything that this person, whoever it is, everything about them, every square inch of their body, every nerve, every uh, every pump of the heart, every drop of blood, you created every bit of it. And you know everything there is to know about them. And so, God, we're asking you to do what only you can do in this situation. 
It's a great opportunity to say, look, God knows everything about you. He created you, and He can do whatever He wants to in your life. It's an, it's an opportunity to show the lost world that God is able. If He so chooses to do it, He can do it. He is the great physician. Last but not least, He is our teacher. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 10. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. Many times in John, we see where they approach Jesus and they call him rabbi or teacher. <coughs> so, who Jesus is. Uh, the second thing is, what does he do? Well, in your life and in my life as a believer, Jesus affirms. Number one, he affirms. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus told them, he says, I came to seek and save those who were lost. And so Jesus said, this is my mission. He is affirming what his mission is to humanity. Well, God has a mission. He has a plan for us as believers to be a part of his mission. And he affirms that. How does he do that? Well, he does it through his work. Henry Blackaby says that God speaks through what? Through people, through prayer, through the Word, and through circumstances, right? And so I can tell you many, many, many times in my life where one of those things God has spoken to me. And then He has affirmed it in another one of those things. So he may, it may, I may be reading the Word of God, and I may be prompted by the Spirit to say, all right, this is what I want you to do. And then I may hear a message on that, or I may get a word of encouragement from someone, or the circumstances may present themselves to which I say, okay, all right, God, I see what you're doing here. And it's the same thing as we talk about here in, in, in the life of a believer as God transforms you, is that He is showing you that He's able He's showing you that He is faithful. He's showing you that He wants to do those things in your life. And so He affirms those things as He works in the believer's life. So Jesus affirms, number two, He encourages. In John chapter 14 and verse 16, we quoted a little bit earlier of John 15, and Jesus talks about uh, how uh, God the Father uh, is working in and through His life. In John 15, the uh, great chapter about abiding in God the Father. And so it's encouragement to see the activity of God. Number three, He blesses. Uh, Luke 24, verse 13 through 35. So this is the uh, road to Emmaus. When you get a chance, you can read through it. Uh, but this is where the guys are leaving. Uh, Jesus has been crucified. Well, Jesus rose. Uh, Jesus resurrected. Jesus appears before them, and he walks with them on the road to Emmaus. And uh, the Bible says they sat down and ate, and then they realized that they had been with Jesus. They didn't realize it was him until the end. And so Jesus blessed them, and he encouraged them, and then he blesses them to have, uh, you know, faith to believe that he is who he said he is. Number four, Jesus sees the good in other people. He sees the good in other people. John chapter 21 is the, the great chapter that talks about Jesus is resurrected, and uh, now the last uh, incident, the last communication that Peter had with Jesus is he denied him. Remember that three times? The Bible says that he was following Jesus from afar, and then he denied Jesus three times, and the rooster crowed, and then Jesus was crucified. And so Peter says, well, I guess I'll just go back to fishing. And so Peter goes back, and he starts fishing. And so the Bible says that Peter's out on the boat, and he's fishing, and Jesus comes to the shore, and he motions for Peter to come in. 
And the Bible says that Peter tosses his cloak off, hops in the water, and swims to Jesus. So Jesus has uh, fixed his breakfast for him there. And so they're there in John 21, you can read. And so they're, they're hanging out. And Jesus has that uh, famous interaction, do you love me? Well, feed my sheep. And so Jesus didn't go to Peter, and he didn't say, uh, look, Peter, you really messed that last thing up. Now, I had something important for you to do, but you're going to have to prove yourself now. No, he saw the good in Peter. He knew what, was, what Peter was capable of uh, because what did he say? He said, upon this rock I will build my church. He said, Peter, what you proclaim that I am the Christ, that's what I'm building my church on. Peter had the faith to believe it and to speak it and to live it. Jesus knew he was able to do it because the power of God would work through him if he would allow it. It's the same with you and I. You know, as a legalist, the tendencies are to look at yourself and say, you know, yeah, you're right, some good things are happening, but let me tell you about all the bad things that are happening. Because there's insufficiencies with, I mean, with everyone. I, and my, I fight the battle all the time to say, you know, yeah, there's some really good things happening, but if this was better and this but I have to, I'm, I'm, God is slowly changing that in my life. But God doesn't see it that way. Right? God says, no, I, you're my son. You're my daughter. I'm working in you to transform you to who I want you to be. I'm not capable of being perfect. I have to tell myself that all the time, right? That's what a legalist does is say, look, here's the standard. What happens in my life is I'll have a standard, and then, you know, I'll say, well, I can't reach that standard, and so that becomes the focus. Whereas God is saying, no, you can't reach the standard. You're right, but I, I got someone to do it for you, Jesus. And so he sees the good in me. And in you, I have to remind myself of that. He redeems us. He transforms us back into who He created us to be. We were intended to be perfect. Number six, He transforms us. He redeems us. He transforms us. He imparts fullness of life. He said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. It's one of the things, I, you know, one of the verses I've been just marinating on here for the last month or two is, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The joy. You see, that's what makes us different. It's not like, man, I got to go to church again, or I got to read my Bible. or No, joy is doing something because you want to, not because you have to. That's what joy is. And that's what the world sees. It's not, you know, us, you know, with a scowl on our face. You know, we were able to do some community stuff uh, today and inviting people to church. And, you know, it was just, hey, let's just love them. Let's just be kind. Let's just be nice. Let's just smile and invite them. Hey, you know, we'd like to do something nice for you. No strings attached. We just want to do something nice. You see, the joy, for the joy that was set before him, that's what our life, it, it ought to be full of joy. Number eight, he nourishes John chapter 6. In verse 35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so Jesus said, hey, I can provide all for you that you would ever need. He told the woman at the well, I can give you water and you'll never thirst again. Which is number nine is that he satisfies
He satisfies. Number 10, he illuminates our hearts every single week. The prayer is that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Number 11, he brightens our paths. He brightens our paths. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Now, let's tie that together. What does John 1, 1 say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus brightens our paths. And number 12, He energizes our transformation. He energizes our transformation. So what happens in your life and in my life, in, in a believer's life, is that the Spirit of God and the flesh are always in competition. And the flesh is always trying to, to rear his ugly head and to try to get, you know, a foot edgewise, you know, trying to get a leg up in your life. It happens all the time. And there's never going to come a point until you have no breath in your lungs that that's not going to be the case. And so there's always going to be this back and forth that the flesh is going to try to have competition with the Spirit of God. Well, we know that the Spirit of God uh, is, is uh, 1 John 4, 4, is greater as He is in me than He who is in the world today. We know that the Spirit will overcome the flesh, but there's always going to be this battle. And so in your life, every single day in my life, I have the decision, am I going to yield to the Spirit? Or am I going to yield to the flesh? Every single second of every day with the decisions and thoughts and uh, actions of my life, I have the opportunity to decide, okay, am I going to uh, live for the Spirit or am I going to make a sinful decision here? And so transformation through Jesus energizes our life to say, well, because of what Jesus did, here's how I should respond. So that's what Jesus does. Now, last but not least, let's talk about the Spirit of God. The word for Spirit, pneuma, literally means breath, because He breathes new life into us. So, pneuma means breath, and so the Spirit of God, uh, we saw in Acts that the Spirit of God came. Uh, it says that it came rushing in like a mighty wind, and uh, the Spirit of God means, of course, breath. And so, in your life and in my life, uh, that's how the Spirit of God works. And so, what are the characteristics, then, of the Spirit of God? What are the characteristics of the Spirit of God? Well, number one, the Spirit of God illumines and enlightens. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. How does a person discern the things of God? Through the Spirit of God. Were it not for the Spirit of God, we would not be able to understand the things of God. So the Spirit of God helps us to understand the things of God. The Bible says uh, in Romans uh, chapter 8 that the Spirit of God uh, groans things for us. He utters things uh, that we don't even understand. And so in our, in our life, the, you know, Jesus is interceding for us, and the Spirit of God is uttering groanings for us that we don't even know that we need to pray for. So He's helping us to understand the things of God. Number two, he teaches us all things spiritual. First uh, John two twenty seven. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So, do you want to know more about the things of God? Well, lean on the Spirit of God, 
and He will teach you those things. It just goes back to what we were talking about earlier and asking. Just asking. Number three, provides access to the Father. So the Holy Spirit provides, provides access to God the Father, Ephesians 2.18. For through Him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Number four, He applies the Son's transforming provision to our lives. He applies the transforming provision to our lives. And so, remember, uh, God the Son, uh, or God the Spirit, applies salvation. The redemption that Jesus provided for us is applied through the Holy Spirit. Well, how does that happen? How does He do that? Well, He does it through encouraging. Acts chapter 9, verse 31, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And so uh, the Holy Spirit uh, encouraged, uh, and the result was multiplication. The Holy Spirit empowers. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. So here's the question. Rewinding back to Matthew 6, 26. He says, I'll supply all your needs. Philippians chapter 4, verse 3, uh, was it Philippians chapter 4? Uh, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. I can't remember the verse. So God's going to supply all of our needs. He says we have the power, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So is that exemplified then in our walk? Are we doing things that... You know, I've shared this a couple years ago, but there was a saying growing up um, that my mom always had on the side of the refrigerator. It says, live a life uh, so to the fact that when people see you, that when people see you, that when people know you but don't know God will want to know God because they know you. So live a life so that people who know you but don't know God will want to know God because they know you. So that's living a life that's empowered by the Spirit of God. Number seven, He enlivens. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all, Romans 6. Uh, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, John six sixty three. So He empowers, He enlivens. Number eight, He kills the unclean works of the flesh. So the, the flesh that battles against the Spirit, well, the Spirit overcomes those. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, like these, uh, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul makes this long list. He gives another list in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting verse 9. He gives this long list. These are the unclean works of the flesh. Well, the Spirit kills the unclean works of the flesh. Well, what's the result of that? Well, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, he brings forth the transformational, transformational virtues of the Spirit. So what are those? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against there is no such law. And so the Spirit of God is the, it manifests itself through those actions. And last but not least, He imparts the desire, enabling and empowering our prayers. He imparts the desire, enabling and empowering our prayers. And so, as we talk tonight about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, hopefully you got some tangible uh, resources there that you can go back to and reference and say, okay, well, this is what God the Father is doing in my life, and this is how God the Son is, is changing my life, and here's how the Spirit is working in my life. Because as we imitate the pattern of Jesus' life, we become like Him, which is Jesus, uh, and that is what godly transformation is all about, is that we mutually submit, that we completely share in our life, just like the Trinity, as we transform into who God wants us to be. And the result of that is that we'll unconditionally love those that are around us. Well, hopefully that helped you tonight. Let's pray as we close.